for February 14th, 2022, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 711. Why are the payouts different from the probabilities? It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. If you hear loud bangs outside and my dog barking in abject terror, that's not, uh, you know, just the normal state of, well, it actually kind of is the normal state of affairs in the Rather household here. But no, uh, that is because the Rams of Los Angeles, known for its sheep, uh, the Rams of Los Angeles have uh, won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl LXI or LVI, uh, and uh, very, very proud we are of all of them, of all, all of our little Rams, Baba, uh, little sheep run around and, and headbutt things with your, your, uh, with your long curly, curly horns. No, it was a, it was an interesting, interesting game to watch. Some, some injuries uh, had us on the, uh, had us on the, the edge. Of our seats. It was interesting. And of course, this being overthinking it, we watched the commercials. So I'm Matt Rather, and I am here with Pete Fenzel, the great narrativizer, the Thank narrativizer you. of you all. You always say this, and I always try to downplay it, but then I always try to do it. So hopefully I'll live up to your expectations. Super Bowls. Pete, Yeah. what do the Super Bowl commercials tell us about American society in 2022? I'll tell you right now, Matt, what they say. <laughs> this, this, they make a very clear statement. They make a statement that cuts along several different axes. Uh-huh. They have a statement that operates in several different sorts of systems of thinking, uh-huh. but they come together in one voice, and that voice resoundingly says, I am not the problem. It is the world that sucks. Yes. Uh, we have we have in recent years, when we've talked through Super Bowl ads, one of the trends has been that brands – seek to identify with consumers or have consumers identify with them by positioning their commercials at the Super Bowl in particular uh, in line with how people are feeling about themselves, in particular their their insecurities, their hopes and dreams, their beliefs, their vulnerabilities. So we've, I think during the financial crisis, this was super clear when a lot of the commercials got super pensive about the vulnerability of masculinity Right. And uh, and sort of traditional masculinity under threat as there was a lot of job loss and a lot of kind of, uh, you know, king making being undone by cruel fate uh, and people kind of looking in the mirror being like, what am I? Right. What have I ever been? Uh, and of course, in more recent years, we've seen the commercials take really strong perspectives on social issues and uh, issues of justice and issues of, uh, you know, discrimination and uh, hardship and basically anything else you can possibly think of because they're commercials and they aren't, you know, scalpels. They're shotguns um, because there's a lot of them and they 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 splatter all over the place. Uh, but, yes, we've seen uh, Super Bowls that had consciences. We saw Super Bowls that had uh, that were trying to cleanse themselves of their evils. We've seen Super Bowls that are trying to hold themselves while they're crying. Uh, this was a Super Bowl that was uh, pointing outward and saying, that's the problem, right? This is a Super Bowl where finally we ha- we we do not have a, uh, you know, protagonist versus self conflict anymore. There are enough things wrong with the world that everybody has something else that they're upset about. <laughs> and uh, and that is how we are going to look at the world. And I think there were a couple of major axes on which this cut. One of them was the uh, Ubermensch, uh, the crypto Ubermensch, right? Mm. 
which is the sense of society has rules. Uh, these rules are for losers. You are not a loser. You are awesome. Therefore, you are not beholden to society's rules. Therefore, crypto, right? Or whatever else, right? Whatever other product is promising sports, you. Sports betting. Yes, yeah, gambling, gambling in general, right? The right. idea that that uh, that gambling in general is a uh, is an act of moral independence, right? Of moral of, of moral superiority to the point of the irrelevance of outside authority, right? Like that uh, that no one can tell you what to do if you put all your money on the Bengals to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was th- I was <laughs> thinking of it in really similar terms, Pete. Like it yeah. it it struck me that like the sense of hopelessness is so and maybe this is just after, you know, 2 years of kind of living through a pandemic with whatever effective or ineffective responses, you know, in, in alternating cadence there might have been, right? Like the 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 kind of demoralizing effect of that, the effect of the the hopelessness is so complete you know, is so thoroughgoing that it seems like it seems like gambling is the only way, you know, to uh, gambling is the only way to to, I don't know, get anything, get anything ahead for yourself. And that like as long as you get a spin of the wheel, you know, that is somehow justice. Right. As long, yeah. you know, as long I mean, but as, Matt, if, if as that were the case, then the people then there would be more gambling in populations with more hopelessness. And there would be towns full of gambling that would be known as hopeless towns. I mean, no, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Sorry. I'll, I'll put your makeup on, fix your hair to look pretty and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but this isn't the Nebraska album being like, man, we don't have a uh, we don't have any hope. So let's let's hope let's let's take one roll of the dice. This was much more like f them, right? Like <laughs> I don't know. Continue, continue. You you were you were you were in it. You're you're in it to win it. So well, I don't want to. I'm I'm yeah exactly. I'm I'm uh, the you know the the ability to ante. You know the privilege to ante <laughs> is like you know is. Uh, substitutes for all other forms of agency right and and also sort of manages to obscure the dynamics of the game such that you can't like hey you know you can wager it all on one spin of the roulette wheel and then you can be like wait hold on like w- what are the odds here and wait what why are the odds why are the payouts different from the probabilities pete why are the payouts different from the probabilities <laughs> I'll explain the vig to you when you're older. So is there is there a better is there a better uh, narrativization for the fundamental and systematic way in which financial speculation is marketed to people in a, in a misleading manner, right? And, and is for the for the the I don't want to say the big lie because that's taken on its own its own uh, name right now, its own kind of meaning. But the the most basic and essential fraud of the marketing of financial services of any kind, right? Uh, was was cr- articulated with crystalline beauty. In the LeBron James crypto uh, crypto commercial, sure. right? Which it, which and the, the big lie, right? Not the the this big lie. This big lie is you from the future. Tell me that it's going to be okay, and the future telling you with certainty that it's going to be okay, right? Like looking at a. I want to look at a vision of the future image of myself, and then I want to progress from where I am to where that is. And and I want to perceive risk, 
not as a chance that I won't get to this particular outcome, but as an emotional variation that I experience over the course of my journey, right? I want to see myself as a protagonist with plot armor, uh, in particular with my investments, where none of my investments are ever going to go wrong or bad, right? And I'm not, and I'm not going to have to like take into account the fact that I'm probably going to lose money here or there doing something in my life. So I should, you know, plan accordingly. Right. But no, I mean, they did the commercial with LeBron James. They don't do it with Len Bias. Right. Like (laughs) it's uh, where it's like, what is it going to be like for me? Future Len Bias. And it's just like, I mean, you you could finish that commercial yourself and it's not for crypto, um, probably for probably for mutual life or something. uh, Yeah, it's it is interesting. It's I, I mean, I I. I think it's the the intersection of a lot of consumer mega trends. One is that like if you're 30 or 32, let's see when if you would have graduated high school, if you would have been born in in 90, right? Like or 91 or something like that. So if you're of that, you know, kind of middle millennial generation, you know, you you've not seen a serious bear market. Uh, you know, not like yeah. not, not you And you didn't... don't believe you haven't seen it. You don't understand right. that you haven't seen it. Yeah. Right. Like, because yeah. it wasn't, you didn't, you weren't bought into the system. Like it didn't matter to you to pay rent. Uh, you know, when the, the, like the global, uh, the housing market bubble caused a, a global crash and like it was unclear. You know, uh, the global financial crash where it was like unclear whether like the money system of the world would survive <laughs> exactly, you know, completely, completely intact. And that was, um, like you've never, you, so that's one sort of consumer mega trend that like it goes up and to the right, you know? Yeah. Th- the other, I think is the, uh, I think is the, the like the thing that I often identify as, as the kind of the consumer mentality in, in civic life where, where it's just like, well, this is, this is here for my satisfaction, you know, like, and your, your investments are not there for your satisfaction. I mean, uh, maybe over mm-hmm. the long term, they're there for your, uh, for your satisfaction, but not really, not really satisfaction, uh, quite so much as, um, I don't know. I was trying to, I was racking my brain for another, another another faction word uh maybe for your uh uh benefaction uh before your putrefaction you know that that, that, <laughs> that like uh uh that that's what uh they're there for your inaction <laughs> so they should be there for no wait Pete, I, I shouldn't be in robin hood just trading all day no, no. every day let me, just refra- like- let me be let me rephrase because i feel like i gave a slightly incorrect when i say inaction i don't mean don't invest or save for the future i mean don't make knee-jerk decisions to change what you're doing based off of what you see happening in the world right because your emotions are going to be so tied into it that you're not going to be able to make rational decisions and that most decisions that you should make about this sort of stuff involve like long-term i don't want to just say like delay gratification because it's more than that right it's like taking a kind of boring look at your life and like Okay, you know, this many years are going to go by and I have a chance doing this or a chance doing that. And how do I sort of keep my immediate obligations safe? And and is there what can I do and what sort of risk do I have to entertain and what keeps me up at night and all that stuff? It's it's, you know, financial planning is uh, the, the, the biggest lie that ever the biggest lie the devil ever told was that mutual funds needed to be more exciting. Right. And, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not saying that like. They, they I thought the biggest lie that the devil devil ever told was that actively managed mutual funds beat the market on average. <laughs> <laughs> but but 
anyway, we're we're getting a little bit sidetracked here because there are, there are also other axes. But then, of, but then uh, there yeah. there is there was another trend that is, that is kind of um, parallel to this one, which is the people are stupid trend, which you mm. know took which had its apotheosis, I think, in Gwyneth Paltrow taking a bite out of a wax candle uh, <laughs> in the in the Uber Eats. Uh, ad because everything Uber Eats delivers is obviously edible. I mean, they were doing like a how soft goods or like house goods delivery, uh, you know, kind of line expansion and, um, that they like, uh, they had all these people eating, they had all these people eating things that Uber Eats delivered, but they were not edible. Uh, they were not edible things. Like someone ate the fluff out of a, a pillow and it was like, this is, this is terrible. Um, and it was, uh, and this was like the sort of people, people are stupid, uh, thing. And it was kind of a, akin to what you have identified before as the bad things will happen to people who use our product, right, uh, right, right. trend, but slightly different than that because it, it plays into this narrative of like everyone is stupid, but you. You yes. know, you are the bold. Fortune favors the bold. Crypto.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you, you're you are the, the bold. only person who can see Guy Fieri's flavor utopia. For everyone else, it's, you know, they think you're crazy. Right? <laughs> but for you, Bud Light Seltzer is an apotheosis of Bill and Teddy in proportions, right? You're the smart one. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, like, oh, yeah. right. Like, like an app is the solution to a tight housing market, you know, to the kind mm-hmm. of like the structural problems with providing places to live for people in you know uh, especially high demand areas in the united states like that like an app you know the the rocket mortgage app is the uh is the answer to this and all those other people are all those other people are stupid right like and that like um the 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 what is maybe it was fitzgerald fitz fitzgerald or something it's like the the who said the the poor in america problem with social organization in america is the poor see themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires (laughs) Rather than as a, you know, as a social class that has interests, um, that like, uh, you know, well, no, you're, you're LeBron. You're not Larry David. You know, you're not Larry yeah. David, you know, turning down the crypto guy like, uh, you know, and, and hey, just because Larry David was wrong <laughs> about all of those other things doesn't mean he's, you know, doesn't mean he's he's wrong about uh, about this one as well. Those things were nothing like each other and people's <laughs> objections to them were on vastly different grounds. It doesn't, uh, you know, uh, these these things don't compute, but this like this sort of people are stupid uh narrative that started with the mcdonald's like uh commercial and like the the kind of the uh the the uh the like the trend of inarticulate inarticulate noises um like uh the i think peacock was advertised with like a long shout of goal oh yeah but but like other things you know these kind of like long sustained noises um the 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 barbarism of those who can't even speak you know and those yeah. and you're not one of them are you you know yeah. <laughs> crypto.com i i i actually i think my maybe my favorite commercial from both a sort of ideological standpoint and from a promotional standpoint was the like the animals you eat who love Doritos confound and humiliate the naturalist. Yes. <laughs> it's like you have this scientist, right, who shows up in the in the wilderness, right, to to observe these animals and is 
shocked and and baffled by their fondness for super spicy nacho flavored Doritos or whatever it is that the animals are all eating to the point where the animals also launch into a coordinated, uh, you know, old school hip hop jam. Right. Um, was it salt and pepper that they were doing because it was a seasoning? Uh, I'm trying to remember what the song was that the, the oh, animals were rocking because it was to. a season because they were like um, nacho cheese Doritos. Yeah, and that was maybe. like, um, uh, yeah, and they they sort of pulled one over on him. The sloth was like, I'm not so her. slow after her. Oh, there the you go. The naturalist was a black woman. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, which which problematizes the commercial even more. <laughs> it's like uh, this this smart black woman. She doesn't really know what's going on. The animals are all eating Doritos. <laughs> like and she's like, probably oh. never even heard of salt and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> the, is the idea that the naturalist maybe that's the idea that the naturalist it finds in the Dorito eaters a dimension of herself that has, she has neglected by going to school and becoming smart, right? And it's like no, no, no. She the salt of the earth would not the nacho cheese of the earth would not lose its nacho cheesiness because it was also a Cheetos commercial, right? It was like a twofer. Um, it was for yeah, not, it was for nacho cheesiness, uh, uh, you know. In in general, and I, yeah. you know, I put maybe I'll put it in the the show notes. I made a, a really great plate of nachos for the uh, uh, for the Super Bowl. A big, oh, uh, yeah. big half sheet pan, you know, covered with uh, mm. with nachos and and uh, ground pork and green chilies and you know some onions I fried up and cheese. Oh, it was it was great. Gosh, I'm I'm hungry, Pete. I'm gonna go to the fridge. Let's cut away to the overthinking it uh, Super Bowl halftime show. Yes. Uh, and then uh, when we come back, I have a question for you. And now the Overthinking It podcast halftime show featuring Peter Fenzel and Matt Rather with special unannounced guest, Mark Lee. Go, Mark Lee. It's your birthday. We're going to podcast <laughs> like it's your birthday. I'm so uncomfortable hanging upside down in my podcasting studio. <laughs> all, the, all the blood is rushing to my brain. But That's, you know what, listeners, yeah. that'll only just make the discourse that much better. The the uh, the rent, you know, for for people who don't know Los Angeles and our incredible uh, housing costs here, incredible literally in the sense of unbelievable. The rent on that one room apartment <laughs> that Fifty Cent was hanging upside down in five billion dollars. Five billion dollars to construct the massive edifice <laughs> that contained uh, that contained that that apartment. Uh, well, you know, Mark, Pete, and I have been uh, going already. So uh, why don't we toss the mic? Why don't we toss the mic over to you? Pass the mic. Pass the mic over to Mark Lee uh, in this in this uh, podcaster's cipher. And uh, Mark, you can do a guest verse here. What did you think of the uh, What did you think of the halftime show? Uh, I was entertained by it. Um, the oh, aforementioned were, were you not entertained? You were not uh, not entertained. Yes, appropriate to the allusion to Gladiator, I, I was entertained um, in the midst of the blood sport. Um, okay, so the aforementioned fifty cent, uh, aforementioned allusioned fifty cent was uh, the least was the weakest part of the show uh, by far. I think because well, he's wasn't he was never that great. Okay, he had a huge hit. Um, um, in the club was a good song. Sure, fine. Um, but not nowhere close to me the most notable thing about it. Um, so let me just like open up this conversation just to remind you that Dr. Dre was at one point a member of the rap group NWA, whose uh, song F the Police launched numerous rounds of culture war uh, and uh, was just like so uh, just 
indescribably controversial for those who were like too young to remember this um incendiary doesn't even begin to describe uh that song um untouchable <laughs> perhaps might be a better word for it um truly like uh uh this like kind of uncomfortable spot between the like mainstream and fringe at the time uh fast forward many years later dr dre uh is extraordinarily wealthy at one point was an employee of apple <laughs> Right. <laughs> Due to the sale of Beats Headphone Company. Um, and, uh, you know, w- between him and Snoop Dogg um, have just kind of, you know, ascended to a pinnacle of mainstream success um, that if you told someone in the early 90s that that's where they would wi- wind up, um, I-, I think most would have been incredulous. Um, and yet here we are. Right. I in mean, fact, like, you I, know, this this has become but they've, they've come so far and the genre in, in, uh, has come so far that like. Um, right. They are the nostalgia play for us, us elder millennials. We're like, yes, I, I mean, 90s, uh, early 2000s hip hop, you know, keep, get, call yourself what you want. But I'm I uh, I identify as the tail end of Generation X. You're, you're, in, a, you're in a liminal space. Yeah. You're in a liminal space, Matt. <laughs> but that's uh, no. But, Mark, I, I remember distinctly uh, the cameo appearance that they had in the biopic Straight Outta Compton, where they said, you know, Dre, uh, Dre said, one day I'm I'm going to be uh, emceeing the Super Bowl. And in an uh, enormous white console. Right. And, no, and, and they enormous said white grand piano, like a James Bond villain. Gosh, that'll never happen. Is <laughs> I believe the, the verbatim yeah, quote. Yeah. Ice, Ice Cube looks over him and is like, what? What you talking about? All right. Mark, Mark sees the uh, Mark sees the incongruity of, uh, you know, former counterculture or sort of anti-establishment icons uh, on the, the biggest stage in American entertainment. Pete, was that your reaction or did you uh, identify yeah, with Paul something McCarthy different? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the halftime show that's what i thought do you realize that when paul mccartney was out there making little girls faint it was and there were these lilliputian dock worker sl- slug balls coming to our city and and co-opting and playing that sinful music <laughs> like it was it was the counterculture right oh cool. um, yeah absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> it was I, I, ever I, it was ever thus is your point pete yeah well yeah. no that's not i mean my point per se isn't necessarily like uh that was always the case, but just that that uh, Dr. Dre isn't notably out. I don't think that Dr. Dre feels out of place. It's it's survivorship bias. If that's the if that's the concern we really have, uh, then I would suggest that some survivorship bias is in order because the issue is not oh man, how did Dr. Dre go from being so fringy and so risky to being like so powerful and so uh, central. It's more like who are all the other people who started in similar places from Dr. Dre and where did they go? Right. That's kind of like how we would measure what the likely trajectory is of somebody who takes that kind of, uh, that kind of, you know, relative position yeah. or disadvantage in life and kind of push e- easy E died of HIV. So there's that. Well, exactly. Right. And easy yeah. E doesn't get to be out there. Nope. Um, but I mean, are we saying like what we feel about the halftime show? I love the halftime show. I yeah. love the halftime show. It was great. Yeah, me too. I, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I particularly really enjoyed Mary J. Blige who, uh, he basically, she took a Beyonce performance and put it inside a human being. And I just, 
And I just felt like that's what's been missing this whole time. <laughs> and it was beautiful and sad. <laughs> and like Mary J. Blige, like at the Super Bowl, crying out no pain for all the people who have betrayed her and all the sad things she's had to overcome in her life. And like collapsing onto her back in her like disco queen diva princess costume and her hair just splayed out over the uh, over the what is it? Was it a map of the town of Englewood per se or was it? Of Los yeah, Angeles it was like just generally? the bl- but. It, that's the idea. Yeah, I'm not sure about the specifics, but yes, that's the that's what it meant. Yeah, definitely. I felt like the I mean, one of the big problems that Super Bowl halftime shows have from my perspective is especially when they have a lot of acts is that they don't have a clear perspective, point of view or focus as to what is happening or why. Right. And, and, and then not necessarily like that in itself is bad, but I tend to feel emotionally detached from them if the form of the show and the awesomeness of the music aren't supporting each other in some sort of interesting way. And so it was cool to have, you know, Dr. Dre in one house and Snoop Dogg in another house in the same neighborhood and them sort of calling out to each other because they're like old friends. And that's what they are to us too in our relationship to them as cultural figures. It's like, Hey, Hey, old friend, what do you say? Old friend. <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> and, and it, it felt like, it felt like, something of a homecoming uh, in a, in a heavily presentationalist baroque sort of sense. Right. Um, but just the notion of it being this sort of neighborhood of performers who all have this relationship with Dr. Dre, I suppose. I mean, the Birdman version of this wouldn't have been as collegial. I'll say that much. <laughs> like the, <laughs> like there are fewer billion dollar lawsuits happening between the people that were on that stage right now that are perhaps average. I would like to see the Master P version of this um, or maybe just all of Flip Mode Squad. Uh, who I think number in the tens of thousands. I'm, I'm picturing Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre running around uh, the set in his whitey tighties while Anderson Pac. By the way, that was Anderson Pac. Yes, wailing away on the drum set there, right? Oh. Yeah, just like it was do, excellent, do, 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 do excellent performance on the drums. And I think I, I mean, like near as I could tell from the like slight, you know, the kind of the humanness of the rhythms. They didn't seem quantized. They didn't seem recorded uh, before. And Eminem was like dropping words every now and again to let the crowd shout out the words or to let the back singer shout out the words and unless that was all really like tightly planned out i think they were all you know really performing live as opposed to to doing it doing it to tracks and i just like i i don't know that i that that snoop dogg i he's he's quite a performer (laughs) (laughs) oh he was like a rug yeah exactly it felt live and it felt alive Right. The performers looked like they were having a good time. Now, I, of course, I liked the alienating and confounding uh, middle difficult middle section, the, yes! dif- the difficult <laughs> second album with uh, with Kendrick Lamar and the sea of, of cardboard boxes, just because it was so much more off on card, really, than, than it was a lot closer to like experimental dance or like, I don't know, cardboard box, like op art or something. In Yo, the- there was a serious case of one of the, one of these is not like the other when Kendrick Lamar showed up. Right. Yeah. Well, well, it didn't because he was doing it outside of the gen- the generalized house party, um, you know, house party vibe. I-, I think given like the some of the social concerns of Kendrick Lamar, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere in the mix of meaning is a commentary on uh, on the unhoused in Los Angeles, which is sort of L.A.'s, mm. you know, humanitarian crisis and kind of like being out behind the out behind the structures and like standing in in cardboard boxes. Um, 
you know, it's a, and, and it was something, I'm sorry, I'm going to hijack this for, for a no, second. Please, please the, yeah, this is hard. You know, the, the, because we can talk, get back to the music, which, which I agree was awesome. And, and, oh my God, the, the, the drum fills were just glorious. <laughs> and then, and then Dre sat down at the piano, sat down at the piano, like, like a lounge singer. It was glorious. <laughs> it was, it was wonderful. But Fabulous the, Baker Boys. Yeah. You know, in, especially during the the pandemic, LA has been. Uh, uh, I mean, I say it sounds like I'm I'm making fun of it or trivializing it. it I, I don't mean to sound like that. The the uh, I think if there's any humor, it's very grim and in the face of the helplessness that a lot of us feel in this. It's become a humanitarian crisis in Los Angeles. We have you know encampments uh, of the unhoused up and down all the all the boulevards, and periodically the LAPD and some some like uh, you know Orwellian named uh, like homeless support services uh, r- runs through and bulldozes up everyone's worldly possessions and then, you know, piles them into dumpsters. And this was done in Inglewood, you know, the, the, um, uh, one of the few, uh, still real, like majority African American neighborhoods, you know, still, uh, despite all of this, you know, gentrifying development that's, that's come in, but the, you know, the, the trajectory is going to be towards more things like this, this SoFi stadium. There's another sports complex planned. Um, the, the opening and closing of the Olympic games in 2028 are, are going to be in Inglewood, at least if memory serves correctly. And, and I, you know, the, a lot of the sweeps were the homeless sweeps, the, the, you know, display mass displacements, um, of our, you know, uh, of our uh, down on their luck brothers and sisters have um, uh, have been seen as like a uh, as a trial run for you know what we can do in in the Olympics to really to you know really perfect the tactics of uh, of further dispossessing the already dispossessed and I I did see I did see it as a, a little a little weird, a little almost cruel to reconstruct the old neighborhood to, you know, to, to kind of reconstruct an airsats South LA, right. Where, uh, where, uh, uh, Dr. Dre and where Snoop Dogg and where all the, the people involved with NWA and like the, the stuff that was, um, you know, depicted in, in straight out of Compton. If you're not from here, maybe that's where you've seen it. Um, that, that like, uh, to kind of construct that <laughs> out of all white, <laughs> you know, in the middle of an all white, uh, futuristic sport UFO, um, that was, that was plopped in, in the middle of this, you know, uh, the middle of this neighborhood that was, um, uh, abandoned en masse by white people. Uh, you know, following the second world war or following Korea, I guess more, say, more to the point, like, and, and that, like, um, you know, and that now that, now that it's, uh, got some culture of its own, it's being sort of recolonized in, in, uh, in a particular way. Now I threw around a lot of incendiary terms there. I'm, I'm, I'm a little steamed about it. So, uh, you know, in a more considered moment, I, I might be, a little more, uh, a little more measured about it, but I, I don't know. I think like build, building, you know, building in Airsats South LA um, in the middle of a multi-billion-dollar uh, dollar sports stadium to celebrate the <laughs> ascent to global fame um, of all of these wonderful artists struck me as a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a head scratcher. 
Thank you I mean, for coming. You're, you're the one for you're the one from L.A., so I don't have a ton to add on that respect. Um, I mean, I don't I don't I know that Snoop Dogg's from Long Beach. I don't know how far away that is. Um, oh, well, I mean, Pete, let me tell you. OK, so, so here's, yeah, here's here's what you do from my house. Right. You get on the 90, take that to the 405. <laughs> it's called the Slauson cutoff. As Johnny Carson used to say, you take the Slauson cutoff, but don't cut off your Slauson. Um, the uh, on the 405, you take the 405 south. Okay, you can do one of two things. You can get or three things, even really. You can get off at the one ten, go down through San Pedro, go across the bridge, uh, across Terminal Island to get into Long Beach. You can go down the seven ten, though that is a newer freeway. That's a newer interstate, and uh, you know might not have been possible in in quite the same way. Or you can get off at Long Beach Boulevard, and you can just you know cruise cruise down on on surface streets if if the traffic seems bad. That's that's how you get to L.A. Pete. Yeah, Stuart, what are you doing here? <laughs> so, uh, so what I think my one of my one of the things you said that I thought was interesting, and you said a few things that are interesting. Uh, but one of the things I thought that was interesting is the idea of all these artists being in this place that's all white, and it is a little bit um, enigmatic because I when I was watching, it, I was like, oh wow, look, it's all the black people in charge of the white city, right? This is a sort of like. Uh, you know, deal with it. You know, we've we've arisen and we are as massive, you know, commercial and cultural and and uh, and kind of social force. And you can't pretend that we're not, you know, as big and huge and beloved as we are uh, in an era in which, of course, people are trying to redefine uh, or define, you know, redefine is defined again. Right. Uh, the United States as a white country. Right. And so it's interesting to I mean, this is the modern and postmodern, I suppose. Right. It's the idea of is there an antecedent or kind of synthetic uh, meaning, right, signified of the signifier of 50 cent hanging upside down in a white house? Right. Like, 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 it's like, what is that? Or, or is he, has he just aged to the point where he needs to do that for his back? He needs to put himself in traction to take compression off of his spine because like all of us, he suffers from back pain. I mean, okay, let's zoom out here for a second. I just say some of the obvious things, right? The NFL, 70% of the players are black. There are no black owners. There is like, uh, 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 only one, uh, black head coach, uh, a a black head coach, uh, like this, at least candidate was or you know was is, is now uh, in a lawsuit against the league for racial discrimination in hiring, right? Like you know you know so the other way to read that is just like well you know black artists have been co opted into the the broader white establishment's uh, money making machine of uh, you know of the Super Bowl and the NFL and like you know they're making their cash along the way for that. I mean, that, that is like, you know, yeah. like, you know, the well, most, the most, the glass half say, emptiest, you know, reading yeah. of, of all that, but that yeah. it is there for the taking. Or, right. You could say that the black players of the NFL in recent years have really strengthened their voice and their presence in the league. And the point that, yes, they, obviously there's still, you know, this discrimination happening in hiring, but it's a battle that's being fought out in the open and not with any shame. And it's a battle that's backed with some resources, which it didn't always used to have. Uh, and the idea that even though the ownership of the NFL is white, the NFL, the players that make up the NFL are so black that it's, uh, you know, not realistic to not call the NFL black. Right. So it's, it's, but I'm not saying it's one, I'm, I'm wondering whether what I'm positing is like signifier signified one or the other, both are seem to possibly be true at different points or from different perspectives or to mean different things. Or I don't know which one would be the well, let me rephrase, I guess, from my personal literary critical perspective and preference, I don't 
um, think that either one of these readings is like necessarily more accurate than the other outside of context. Um, that there also might be other readings to it, right? Um, but I don't know. Another um, important thing to add to the backstory of all this, right, is that um, the NFL apparently approached Jay Z to do the halftime show um, years ago, and this was around the same time with the Colin Kaepernick controversy right. stuff, right? Jay Z said no, he wouldn't do it. Um, but you know, the years went on. Um, you know, a, a lot has happened in this in this in this topic area, um, and then Jay Z agreed to produce this halftime show. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yes, it is a Jay-Z or, yeah. or whatever his, his, his company. Uh, um, I think a halftime show where the only person who took a knee was white, right? Eminem, yes. Oh, notably yeah, yeah, Eminem yeah. did take, take a knee. So I think it sounds like it's more like there's a point of inspiration here that's being drawn on by the artists. And, and maybe we're sort of left holding the bag of interpretation and we're being provoked. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Jay-Z is provoking us to uh, – that's interesting. So this is a real East Coast, West Coast like collaboration. And the third coast, you know, you got you got Detroit in the mix there. From Mike, from Stafford, or are we talking about the Cincinnati Bengals? Oh, you mean Eminem? <laughs> 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 yeah, the uh, Eminem was the second most beloved son of Detroit on the field today. <laughs> After and the only the only one who took a knee. That's true. Well, I think he took it one at the end. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, poor guy. <laughs> they wanted the game when the game was over. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although Matt Stafford famous for not taking any, but that's that's cruel to him. And also an obscure football joke from 2013 that uh, actually would be more famous for not spiking it. But anyway, doesn't matter. None of this matters. Uh, Mark, so, okay. So let me ask this. The staging of the halftime show, this one was also, I felt, provocative. And I'm curious, Mark, what did you think of the staging of by staging, I mean the sets, the buildings, the projection of the street map on the ground, the cars, the dancers, and the sort of way that they're telling that kind of meta narrative uh, while the music is going on. Yeah, so it's it's helpful to hear, um, you know, Matt's local LA informed perspective on it, like what the house, the houses, and the neighborhood they're trying to go for. Like, fine, I get that, but um, what it read more to me uh, was two two things. One is that they all look like um, trailers. Um, I'm not really saying that kind of in the housing sense, but just like structure sense, like literally the logistical sense where like, you know, it was just like very easy to um, uh, put on wheels and like drag out into the middle of the field. Um, So there was that. And the other thing that I made it, it looked like to me was just like boxes that they put the performers in. um, And, uh, also notably were open only to one uh, perspective uh, uh, that is towards the camera, as opposed to an open stage, which which I think is more typical for the Super Bowl, which uh, allows the artist to present him or herself to the entire audience, uh, the live audience in a 360 degree format. So I felt that the stage was constraining in that regard. Sure. Like the main performers on the top um, were able to, you know, have a little bit more space, to work with and you know the camera of course you know uh, uh helps that but um i was a little bit let down in that regard I'm, I'm also thinking to kind of some gold standards we've seen recently in the past of uh folks like beyonce and prince uh really working um the kind of the 360 degree angle of things um it, it it is only kind of a mild criticism at the end because again as we talked about before the performances were so solid um but i do 
I have to like call it out that. And also just a reminder context for everybody who's listening to the show. In case you haven't heard it a million times before, right? We were all in the same college marching band. And so we we're like, you know, we have kind of an extra level of sensitivity and awareness of these thoughts about like how you present to the audience in a live football stadium. So yeah, didn't love, didn't love that part of it. But uh, at the end of the day, I think a minor criticism. I don't know. What did you guys think of it? I, I, mean, I, I, I think, oh, sorry, check, ahead, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I think this suffered a little bit from Chekhov's car syndrome. Like uh, che- <laughs> Chekhov's lowrider syndrome because they they never got in the cars, you know that Good was point, the yeah. uh, and it was such it seemed like and I'm told Matt that cars are an important part of your people's culture. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, Did you know that Cars the movie was made in Los Angeles? It was not. What? It was it was made in like Marin <laughs> County. It was made made up in napa um the, is that true I yeah it's a pixar pixar is up by san francisco oh that's why disney hates them even though they own them it's because they're no cow <laughs> nor cow is the no cow they're no cow they're nor nor cow yeah yeah, yeah. here's your here's your coming to if you didn't do it for the super bowl you might do it for the olympics here's your coming to california thing no one says cali so don't say cali but okay. uh we have socal and nor cow Gotcha. So it's uh, yeah. not like Soho and Noho. No, 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 sir. Okay. It's uh it's uh yeah, because they don't want to be no cal. I mean that's that's you know, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, uh almond milk alone is is densely caloric. <laughs> you know? To say nothing about milk. Yeah. That the um, Pixar movies on you know, <laughs> the family in San Francisco. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah, I, I think that like and it was kind of a missed opportunity would not not to get in the cars or or you know, do that. Uh, they didn't you know, they didn't have gin, gin and juice, but like rolling down the street, like the idea of cruising down the street and that that whole uh culture is is part of it, and that's why the cars were there. But I, I you know, think they, they could have been used. I mean it was interesting. You know the tops of the 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 tops of the houses were kind of like a were kind of like a stage, and I think it's possible to overstate the you know three hundred sixty uh, degree appeal of like Prince's halftime show, for example, right? Like there was a backside to the to the devil schlong projection screen, and it was, it was probably not uh, nearly so dramatic as the as the front side um, of that of that particular thing. But I thought, I mean, I thought what was interesting about it is that if this notionally, if these notionally were houses i mean like uh, houses with really really nice mixing desks uh like a really professional like a high high caliber professional studio class you know 128 channel mixing desk of which dre was moving the faders on maybe two channels <laughs> up and down uh right in the middle but like if uh if this was notionally a house party then it was kind of like the the dynamics are a little more voyeuristic right like we're being let in on something that people are doing for themselves notionally uh rather than having something having like a spectacle that's sort of staged on a on a you know stage quay stage and and this was like a stage quay you know uh row of houses and that that's i it's uh it's a little bit different and like there was a a tiny shot of uh fitty scent and uh mary j blige sitting together just like i think maybe when eminem was performing they were downstairs they were downstairs eminem was performing upstairs they were downstairs sitting on a couch just kind of like bopping their heads and i thought like that's the greatest party ever like that's i, I would love to wouldn't, wouldn't you love to just be on that 
that couch and like be enjoying this music with these two amazing people like that that was uh the um that that was the uh the vibe that i got and there was you know i don't know there's sort of something something to that where the kind of the the house partiness of it was uh was interesting and then the like but then the the costume changes i interest you know returning to pete's question about staging the costume changes was really interesting to me like the the um uh oh the uh the like sort of all similar look all bleach hair and beards uh row of of row upon row of uh cardboard box dancers that kendrick lamar performed with the like the kids neighborhood kids uh costume change then there was the m&m like hoodie costume change and then there was uh, you know kind of more of a street style style kind of costume change that like um these these things sort of happened and that the the people the people in the um the people the dancers the backup dancers and the thing were like the people of the neighborhood and they were like standing on the projection you know on the overhead projection of the like the street grid uh you know laid out and they were like uh these are the people in your neighborhood and that uh that that was um i don't know an interesting i i didn't see a ton of dance that i thought was like oh super uh super exciting but i i appreciated it for the kind of the aesthetic qualities that it brought to the to the thing pete answer your own question about about sta- the staging of the show and what struck you about it i wish that i had the chance to watch it from a single camera that was high up in the stands because i don't know how it played i don't know what parts of the show were pointing in which directions like was snoop dogg singing to one side i knew that when the turret blew up and eminem was on it he seemed to have been facing kind of orthogonally to the prosceniums of the row houses yeah he was going towards the end zone i think yeah and so it seemed like there was some attention paid to the spatial orientation of this place one of the things that throws me about los angeles is there isn't really an edge I mean, there is the ocean, but Los Angeles, the core of Los Angeles is so far from the ocean, it feels like, uh, at least seeing it from the air. Sure. That, By so far, you mean yeah. you mean 12 miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a long, a long distance, right? It's a, like in New York City, the core of the city is about 500 feet from the ocean. Oh, fair enough. Right? <laughs> like it's, uh, it, I mean, maybe more than that, but, you know, the, uh, there, I don't think of Los Angeles as having a central point of geography. I think of Los Angeles as sort of extending outward from a center that is a grid, right? And and all it is, it's not even, there's not even a big park in the middle of Los Angeles, right? It's just city and it just goes out. No, and, and by the way, the overhead shots of Echo Park and that beautiful lake with the fountains, uh, until recently a homeless encampment that was bulldozed out by, yeah. <laughs> by the homeless services or whatever whatever they're called, whatever doublespeak right. name they they have. Yeah, uh, it it definitely is. It's like a pool of droplets uh, of sort of of different color. It's like one. It's like a lava lamp sort of. There are all these kind of different little bubbles that some of them coalesce and some of them are independent and they kind of they kind of exist in a uh, in a suspension, you know, with one another rather than rather than being unified. That's yeah. that's you know, which is the upside and the downside of how this particular city works. I mean, when I was growing up, the notable geographical feature of Los Angeles was that it was surrounded by hills and thus it was full of smog. 
right? Like the idea that the wind patterns in Los Angeles are not conducive to clearing the air yeah. of all the exhaust of all its vehicles because it has these natural barriers around it that, uh, and so it is not, it is not a city that has a hill that it's built out from. It's a city that has a ring that it's built inside of. Um, so similar to what, like Mexico city or something like that, right. Mm-hmm. Where there's sort of like a, an exterior barrier. But the point being that like, if this middle is supposed to be Los Angeles, then you could think of it as kind of facing out in all directions. But if the middle was like Manhattan, right, then like Manhattan has very clear geometry, right? Like where the if you're looking at the skyline, you know, you could look at the other side of the skyline, I guess. And it's sort of symmetrical from that direction. But but, you know, once you're looking at it one way, there's like a right way to look at it. And so I, I wish that I could see the show from an audience perspective to see if they dealt with that question at all. If they if they reoriented the space and reoriented the performers to face in different directions. I did like it was a lot better than The Weeknd, who just did his show inside. Right. <laughs> uh, and he just like went inside of, of a Bruce Lee death chamber and yeah, sang to himself. A bar. Like last yeah. <laughs> year's Weekend show was not great. Not great at all. Uh, we are all, of course, working for the weekend, uh, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to us. Uh, but yes, I thought it was it was uh, it had it had syntax, it had semantics, it had it had things that it was trying to refer to that separated the beats. And I guess the question is: Are each of these beats oriented in a way that serves the you know overall experience? Whatever you see as the normative force of the show. Um, is that all being served by it? And it's one thing to ask that question watching it on TV. And it's another thing asking that question watching it from the stadium. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Sure. That's, that's I mean, that's interesting. It gets in the question of who is the proper audience. Right. Right. The, right, show. right. Like, the answer who, is just Guy Fieri. Right. Exactly. He's sitting with his son up there. was like, did he have a good time? Right. Because that's the important one. That's that's <laughs> all uh, we want to know. All right. This is Ben, the Overthinking a Podcast halftime show featuring Peter Fensel and Matt Rather with special guest Mark Lee. We'll be back for the remainder, the second half of our podcast right after this. Ah, hope they can stage a comeback. All right, Matt and Pete are back. And Pete, I have yes. a question. Does your life sure. have a... Pr- no, it's... Uh, it's uh, <laughs> Doritos! <laughs> uh, Pete, is there an all-new Chevy Silverado? <laughs> Is there ever an all? Is anything ever all new? Right. <laughs> Excellent. Everything all old is all new again. I, when was the last time that we really seriously talked about the all new Chevy Silverado in this podcast? It was probably back during Game of Thrones because I remember making a uh, a day Game of Thrones recap splash graphic of the all new Chevy Silverado, like opening the gate to the wall. <laughs> Like for the uh, instead of a mammoth or something like that. But uh, but yes, um, there is an electric Chevy Silverado, Matt. There's an there's a bunch of electric cars that are uh, invigorating the uh, the elderly and the forgotten with the the, the light of, of love and life that they hold within themselves. They're really an electric car is really a mirror to the electricity in your own body, which, you know, which you still hold even, you know, as, as long as you draw breath, really. I mean, it's it's uh, we we're figuring out the vocabulary of beer volleyball as regards to electric cars. Huh. <laughs> and it's apparently the idea that you can be electrified by them uh, and or you can find your own electrification within them for you are a being of electricity. Here I I'm of course conflating the BMW electric car with the uh, the all the all electric Sopranos Silver, Silverado Chevy Sopranorado. 
Is that what it was called? Right, yeah, the Chevy, was- Supra- the Chevy Supranorado. Uh, there was also the Polestar 2, which was yes. adver- advertised as basically advertised as being not a Tesla. That was the, right. the sum total of that. Uh, yes. Don't take other people's input. A car should be made by one person acting <laughs> alone. <laughs> it's like, how does that work out for you? But no, it was it was definitely yeah, as advertised as not a Tesla, which is fair because I think that's probably how everyone thinks of it. Yeah. Right? Like it's just, <laughs> I will say that the electric Shelby Silverado looks suspiciously like an electric Chevy Avalanche in terms of the body styling. But maybe I'm the only person who saw that. Uh, and, and also maybe the only person who misses the Chevy avalanche, but, uh, uh, at any rate, um, the next, the the next generation, you know, done by the actors who played AJ and Meadow Soprano, uh, from the Sopranos with the old, I mean, I, I can't hear that and see that, uh, without thinking about the world trade center, you know? And so it was a Mm. bit of an uncomfortable association for me. I, I have to say just because of the, you know, cause the, the Sopranos aired spanning the time uh before and after September 11th 2001 and so early seasons had the twin towers in the in the opening you know driving to jersey and the uh and the latter um seasons did not and so that's like uh it's a difficult uh, you know i don't know it's a, a difficult set of associations but like okay the sopranos was a good show and these two people were in it and they were kind of like the next generation and so like the next generation drives the uh the all-new chevy silverado which is electric the electric all-new yeah. chevy silverado and also all- enormous it's yeah exactly well that's i mean that's really what you want when you have an electric car you want it to be as big as possible to use as much of that electricity as uh as, true. you know, I mean what's the point of having electricity if you're not going to uh if you're not going to use it and i i guess uh tony soprano had been really associated with the chevy silverado um you know like uh <laughs> it was his signature <laughs> am I being ride gaslit, matt or am i guess being electric lit at this point no, uh, my point that, is it doesn't i'm not sure you totally gaslight someone with an electric car that doesn't run on gas <laughs> Um, the uh, I uh, what, what is Jeff, what is Tony Soprano driving in that intro? I now want to. What car does he drive in the intro sequence? I should have looked this up. That's interesting because um, like, I would have put put him for a BMW. Uh, uh, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know if he had made made the leap to. Uh, I guess that was like the era. No, of, he drew a Blazer. Oh, really? Uh, oh no, it's a Suburban. It's a Suburban. Okay. So it was totally um, in or, the family. Let's see. Tony Soprano. Oh, well, I looked it up and I found a, uh, a, 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 I think it's about the actual, an actual suburban that Tony Soprano drove, uh, in, and that would be, that would be period appropriate. So I guess that would make sense. It's funny because the only people who remember that are the people doing the Chevy marketing campaign. Right. Who are like, oh yeah, everyone obviously knows that, that Chevys are really associated with the Sopranos. Uh, I didn't. Are they? Okay, fine. Um, I mean, did you know that? Or are you just making that up? No, I was I was just making it up. I was actually yeah. saying I was actually saying something that I believed to be not true. Okay. Uh <laughs> in order to, you know, do do one of the two things that Stuart Lee says uh, all comedy does. One is to exaggerate a perceived truth for comic effect, and the other is to take a contrary position and exaggerate that for comic effect. I was doing the latter. And uh 
I, I didn't really think of Tony Soprano as being associated with a particular car, but like, like you, I would have guessed he had like a luxury sedan of some kind, maybe a, yeah, maybe yeah. like a full size, you know, like, uh, like a BMW seven series or something like that. That's but, what I would have guessed, but it looks like it might've been an old, an old, uh, suburban. Yeah. Cause I guess he's suburban. I don't know. I guess, any, I guess, I guess, I guess he is suburban and it is also that like late nineties, you know, early SUV kind of, uh, Ford Bronco, yeah. Ford Explorer, and Chevy free Spurman, electronic yeah. stability control—the most important safety innovation of the last twenty years. Yeah. Uh, if you 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 if you think SUVs are unsafe now, you don't know nothing about how SUVs were prior to say like two thousand six or so. Right. Like now they are they are much different than they were. Um, uh, should we keep talking about these commercials? Yeah. In I wanna, well, I, I uh, yeah I want to talk about gin, Matt. I want to keep talking about, well, I do want to talk about gin, <laughs> but I, I, I would like to, to talk about another theme that kind of rhymes with our, uh, uh, that rhymes with our uh, earlier, uh, you know, talk about all the crypto stuff and how, um, you know, how uh, only suckers work for their money. Um, did you notice, Pete, the the kind of shockingly high star power of these Super Bowl commercials? Yeah. That like re- compared with other years, there weren't a lot of like unknown like people who were characters people like the like the naturalist in the uh in the flaming hot cheetos and doritos um commercial you know who are not a recognizable not a recognizable face there there were relatively fewer of those like characters that the commercials created and more people who were famous sort of do doing commercials where it was like ah this is a famous person trading on their being famous and kind of associating your good um your kind of positive feelings that you have with this person selling that uh to the product um you know what that means to me pete what? We, we got a big liquidity crunch in uh <laughs> in actors in hollywood and you know what they're not doing buying crypto they're or maybe they are and that's why there's a big liquidity crunch but they're doing a job for money <laughs> they are they're collecting they're collecting a union wage right they're doing union work uh like and and you know paying union dues in order uh in order to do it and it just struck me that like wow god everyone like i either they all got bored over the last two years and just bought a bunch of houses you know and need to need to pay their mortgages or like uh the lack the kind of the lull in entertainment you know early uh early in 2020 is now kind of catching up to even the the top of the a list like Gwyneth Paltrow was in a Super Bowl commercial Pete that was the um that that was in an interesting thing to me, but uh, oh yes, let me let me talk about gin. Pete, are you? No, from- no, no. Well, like Matt, don't just trot that out there. Don't give me a chance to comment. Oh, on sorry. It. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. I thought you weren't. <laughs> I, I assumed you wouldn't be interested. No, no. So the one, the angle, I, the Michelob commercial with the bowling, I thought was interesting. Yes. So the Michel, which has Steve Buscemi in it, but it was also it was mostly athletes, right? Jimmy Butler was in it. Peyton uh-huh. Manning was in it. Yep. Serena Williams was in it. Came in, came and- in at the came in at the end and uh, walked in the door for a yeah. cool, you know. Uh, $12 million or something. Right, right, right. And I felt like this was another angle on the whole, I'm fine and it's the world that sucks. Uh, because the bowling alley is positioned as this super cool place. And if you're the kind of 
person who liked bowling alleys and like your bowling alley is gone or you haven't been able to go to it or you think of that bowling is super lame. Bowling, of course, is the poster child for social activities that have become neglected as shared experiences in American social fabric due to the deterioration of interpersonal civic groups. Right. right. Like like bowling alone. Right. Is like the the we've talked about it more times than I can count. So at least six because uh, I can count to five uh, in the Overthinking Podcast over the years. And to have the bowling alley be the cool place full of the cool people. And there I felt like the purpose of the celebrity was to lend a protagonist's weight to the audience surrogate. Like Peyton Manning is there as an audience surrogate, not as a, you know, oh, man, look at him. It was like, no, that's me. I'm Peyton Manning. I'm the hero. I'm the great quarterback. And I like I like the bowling alley and the world doesn't want me to like the bowling alley and the world sucks. The world gets rid of all the cool bowling alleys and replaces them with vacant lots or with with uh, with uh, spas or banks or other fancy things. Right. Like I don't get to go to my bowling alley anymore because my hip doesn't work or because it doesn't exist or because, you know, I'm you know, I, I can't I, I it's everybody died of covid or something. Right. So it's like it's. It's look at the cool people doing this awesome stuff and they're me. I'm them. And the fact that the world can't recognize that people who bowl are cool, like Jimmy Butler is cool, is their problem, not mine. Mm. You know, Michelob Ultra. <laughs> 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 Which is weird because I well, I remember Michelob Ultra as being primarily marketed to sort of club environments for women, but that was when it was launched like years and years ago. So I guess they're trying to diversify the uh the drinkership of it as I guess, but yes, like uh, you want, I mean, I wanted to weigh in there and say like another angle of this whole idea of the world is the problem is the investiture of the audience surrogate in somebody who is cool doing something that in contemporary life is not cool, but is positioned in these, in the commercial as being cool as a validation of the audience who likes it more than the, the sort of structure of society will allow them to like it. Uh, will allow them to enjoy it, right? Uh, yeah, or also the structure of their own minds, which betrays them at every turn, hmm. right? Because they because they don't know that it's their inability to delay their own gratification that closed their bowling alley. <laughs> like, they don't know it's their fault. They think it's the world that did it to them. They didn't count the number of the amount of money that they spent, you know, on Candy Crush rather than on the bowling alley, <laughs> like or the fewer times that they went because they don't have any friends anymore because all they do is yell at people on the internet, right? Which is um. It hits pretty close to home. I mean, did you know, <laughs> Pete, did you know that if you just didn't get a latte, <laughs> <laughs> your bowling alley would be open? <laughs> but for but for all the lattes you you swilled, you East Coast elite, uh, you. No, you wouldn't even drink a latte, would you? But, you, but you would this drink- was, that wasn't even the spirit of this Super Bowl, man, right? Like there was no like – uh, there's no making fun of Starbucks, I don't think, which is weird. Shouldn't there generally be making fun of Starbucks in most public events? Yeah, I mean, in, like, in right, sure. And the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, I was uh, walking to Starbucks today making fun of Starbucks. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it seems like it's what, you know. You can't say it through a Shrek movie without a good Starbucks joke. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're, you're, you're pausing the whole thing of like, oh, yeah, the, the issue is can't you have the self-restraint to not – because because self-restraint is like misunderstood. Like, yes, there is the idea of don't waste your like, oh, if you actually look up how much you eat out, it's not a latte a day. 
if you're, you know, if you have the money to waste and you don't have money at the end of the month, it's you're not spending it on a latte a day. Right. You know, it's it's you're not eating just one cookie. Right. No, it's but like, I, I also think that like for 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 reasons big and small, the kind of the the oft repeated of, uh, advice for which like, you know, don't buy lattes, bring your coffee and you'll be a billionaire like uh, make make your coffee at home. It's the path to it's the path to wealth. Um, but, you know that it's a uh, a synecdoche uh, for that um, for all of that. The whole style of advice, you know, I don't know, is oh, yeah. is like my is bad is bad. It's not it's not true. Even even if you didn't have a latte, you still wouldn't be a billionaire. <laughs> well, is, I, is because they stretch it on both ends, right? And they do it for cultural reasons. Because it's not don't buy a latte. It's don't be the kind of person that likes Starbucks, sure, right? Which is a person who is of loose morals, right? And who is who who you know believes in moral relativism and whatnot. But like the reality of it is like I did at one point sit down and count calculate like how much money I wasted on takeout a month after after wasting that money for many years and it horrified me beyond belief. I mean, have you ever done something? Have you ever done that, Matt? I mean, you're you've always been a relatively good domestic person who's had basic cooking skills, like even I'd say advanced cooking skills since I've known you. And so like you probably haven't fallen prey to this degree that I did when things were at my worst, where I was like so broke. Mm. Part of it was medical bills, right? Yeah. Of course, which is the big book. But but I think at one point I was spending like six or seven hundred dollars a month on just food. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't strike me as as even all that extreme. Like I'll bet I'll yeah. bet a lot of families if they were to take stock, a lot of households, whether they're single person households or multi person households, whatever, if they were to take stock actually of of what they spend on food, it would it would be kind of shocking. Like I mean, like, that's that's what we spend on food now. That's sorry, that's what I spent on like eating out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like I nowadays I can say I spend that on a family. Yeah, sure. Right? You, like, for a like family of th- for a family of three. Like, yeah, that, but but it was just me. And a lot of it was General So's chicken, which was delicious. But it's <laughs> like, but there's a fundamental difference. That's not a latte a day, man. You know, like a latte a day is like a hundred dollars, like hundred twenty dollars. Sure, but Pete, I I'd I'd push back a little bit on this to to, you know, sort of moralizing it yourself too much about this because like, you know, you didn't like wake up and decide <laughs> to buy a lot of General So's chicken. Well like, that's that's the point. A that's lot of things point. a lot of things conspired to get you at that point. Some of those things were in your control, to be sure, but a lot of those things were not in your control, right? Some of them were of your person, yet not of your conscious control. <laughs> you need to set up your life in order to anticipate how bad you are at making decisions because you are a human being. Yes. That, that, and that, that is a different sort of thing to say than like you need to have like a sort of strict and ascetic attitude towards pleasure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Like it's – yeah, yeah. sure. You don't you – don't, you never rise to the occasion. You fall to your last level of training or habit. And that's like uh, – that or the the way I look at it is that if if I am ever you know if I ever accomplish goals, uh, it's because Smart Matt has taken smart times to uh, make it impossible for Dumb Matt to <laughs> <laughs> to just mess everything up. You know, which we're you old will... enough now to have messed things everything up so many times, man. But anyway, <laughs> the point is that also you don't get to be a billionaire; you just get to maybe not be broke. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, like that's the goal: is you can be made if you don't allow the low friction ease of purchase, you know, comes environment that you live in to take away all your money with your own signature at the end of this of the receipt right if you sidestep all of that your reward is like 
to not be broke, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's it's uh, it's not like oh, if you don't drink a latte, you'll be a billionaire. But that's not even what this stuff is about. Anyway. No, no, no. I, no, I was just I I caught a whiff of Pete in what you were saying of that, like you know, well, self control is the way. Uh, you know what I mean? Is the way out of this. You're you're responsible for your own bowling alley, and it's like, well, you know, I don't know. There's there's decades of of you know bad urban policy also responsible for the for the closure of your your bowling alley. It's a complex. And multi-determined yeah, but also phenomenon. like people don't spend money on high friction transactions as much. And a bowling alley is a very high friction transaction. You have to get in your car and drive to the bowling alley. I'm sorry. I, I guess you so. Drive, I'm sure you could drive your electric scooter to a bowling alley that's right next to your house, right? You don't have to do drive a car to the nearest bowling alley. Actually, Pete, I, do. Just walk I, do. The, I have no. like a hipster bowling alley right next to yeah. my apartment right here. And I don't. Be, nearest bowling alley is like 15 miles away. <laughs> it would be. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Well, yeah. Good. Good point. So like. So what you're saying really, is that. That wasn't really a good point. That we need. What, no. What you're saying is that we need micro mobility. You know. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm all for that. We need better public transit options and, uh, you know, walkable, uh, walkable neighborhoods. That rewards the privilege to have the resources to live close to things, right? Mm-hmm. Although like, at the same time, that that's that's the transformation. That's the sort of world turned upside down of like the the unpacking of the of the depacking of the, you know, kind of like hollowing out of the American city. Right. Sure. Which was like for some reason, like the other side of gentrification is we had this period of time where. People just grossly, grossly, grossly undervalued living in the middle of things. Sure. Because of violence and because of racism. Right. And so, like, so it is not necessarily unnatural that living in the middle of all the cool stuff is expensive. Um, but for, uh, but because of, we talked about before, loss aversion, displacement, you know, people are there now and they don't want to leave. Right. And then there's, there's the, of course, the uh, the conflicting idea of like, on one hand, you want to a free movement of people and to be inviting to people because, you know, to sort of defend your own turf is bad. But on the other hand, like inviting people and like doing that leads to your own displacement. And so, like, that is also bad or the displacement of other people who can't afford to not be displaced. So, like, do you invite people or do you not invite people? And but none of this is about the Super Bowl, Matt. None of it is about any of the advertisements. Yeah, the well, Super Bowl. It is. It's about it's, it's about the Super Bowl itself, the, the stadium. Right? It's about it's about uh, it's about Peyton Manning walking into that walking into that bowling alley and i just i just want to close with with a, a little question for you pete would you say that those people were bowling together or we didn't even get to talk about the gin <laughs> you sidetracked me with this nonsense we didn't even get to talk about the cool ads that that oh, you know the gin pete was was interesting that is a to me that is a highfalutin gin to be advertised during the super bowl <laughs> yes. the, bot- the botanist is made by brook laddie distillery uh and if you've ever gone to a gone to a bar and seen like a blue bottle uh kind of a stout whiskey bottle it's blue kind of a teal color like when Way up on the top shelf, you know, the uh, up in the like thirty, forty dollars a shot range. Uh, it, that gin is made by by that distillery, and it's not not quite uh, that rarefied air. If I if I recall, the price point is not quite that uh that high, but it's a weird beverage to be to be the centerpiece of what like a restaurant trade groups ad or something in (laughs) in the super bowl it was it was really incongruous and i i think i posted in slack that like this this is perplexing to me what is the botanist gin from the isla distillery (laughs) brook laddie doing in the super bowl 
It's the way life should be, Matt. Everybody should live in idyllic Scotland and make super expensive gin. Well, it's not, and it wasn't, not worry about where the money comes from. It wasn't even they, they had a couple of of overhead shots of the of the island and of the distillery and stuff like yeah. that. But mostly, it was like expensive looking night spots making like craft cocktails with you know with like uh, the mustachioed uh, mustachioed mixologists with like arm garters and mustache wax and stuff like gauges in their ears and. And MFAs in digital sculpture for which they're paying <laughs> off $300,000 in student debt. You know, that's like, uh, that's, that was the vibe of the commercial. I mean, that, and it just, it struck, it struck me as supremely incongruous for like the, the, the most mass of the mass market. You cannot get more mass than this mass market. <laughs> <laughs> You gin know? is the massive. Is gin the most massive of spirits? <laughs> I don't know. It I, certainly feels the heaviest. I, I'll tell you, Pete. I don't drink a lot of. I, I like a cocktail, but I don't drink a lot of gin. I don't understand why you would, uh, you know, ruin perfectly good vodka by dunking a pine tree in it. <laughs> I don't know why you would ruin a perfectly good pine tree by drinking it sober. <laughs> 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 Oh, Winston, man. Winston, the- Winston Churchill had a, a recipe for a, a martini, which was pour gin and look at a bottle of vermouth. Yeah, <laughs> God, uh, you know, and of course he always did that with that one eyebrow up a little bit. Speaking yeah. of which, did the rock get you hyped up for the Super Bowl, man? I was, yeah, no, I mean, I could say I could smell what Guy Fieri was cooking. <laughs> <laughs> the flavor mayor, indeed. Finally, you know, I and I. Rhetorically, I guess we're we're kind of coming to the end, both because it's very late on the East Coast. As as usual, Pete, I appreciate the the Herculean effort you make to to record this podcast <laughs> right right after the the Super Bowl. But uh, partly because of that, partly because we're we're you know just fried from from the thing. I can see that we're getting a uh, a little loopy here. Um, but you know, I I do want to say that perhaps one of the most rhetorically wonderful words in English, uh, and it's a word deployed by Dwayne Johnson to incredible effect in all kinds of all kinds of situations that word is finally and, yes. <laughs> you know finally it's time for the super bowl <laughs> uh or maybe you're just trash like meta thinks you are <laughs> yeah well that's i mean that was another one that like yeah exactly like if you if you are if you've outgrown your economic usefulness like you're trash you know right. you're to you're, the world because yeah. the world's a nightmare but you know you have value and mark zuckerberg knows that you have value also sort of <laughs> like i i saw it as a little bit darker than that i saw it as like yeah you're trash but like put you know put on a headset and and you know at least you're gonna go comfortable right, right. at least like living in your living in your what Re- ready player one dystopia skyscraper of of shipping containers stacked on top of one another you know at least then you will uh you know plug into some plug into the matrix and like uh you know be able to to forget your your worldly problems as you as you float around as a as a chuck e cheese doll i mean is there a creepier franchise for children than chuck e cheese uh if there is leave it in the comments (laughs) on the show notes yeah Uh, yeah, tell us about five nights at freddy's in the show notes (laughs) on the the 
the comments for this this episode. Um, hey, listen, thanks for listening. We're uh, very grateful to you. We enjoy uh, we enjoy having a little fun with the Super Bowl ads every year. We hope it's fun for you, Pete. Thanks uh, for podcasting with me as usual. Great narrativizer. It is time to re- <laughs> re-enter your hibernation chamber. <laughs> I'll be entirely useless for the other 364 days of the year. But we will we will summon you again. Thank you. Oh great. Oh great narrativizer. <laughs> when uh American consumer culture needs uh needs interpreting. Uh thanks very much to special guest Mark Lee for popping in for the uh the middle part of the show, the uh the half the overthinking at halftime show. Uh always great to uh talk with him and we'll be back next week with more overthinking at podcast. So then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve.